Can you believe it? We are at the fourth episode of the Humans of Higher Ed podcast. I can't believe it. This, what a commitment this has been. I've had to learn how to edit. That's what a pandemic will do. You keep me inside for a little while, and I will just develop new skills. Granted, this is the only skill I've come up with, and it's been like three weeks, but I'll take it. And you could argue that I haven't developed a skill yet, that I'm doing just enough to be able to publish this, and that's about it. But we're glad you're back. We're glad we're back. This is the last of our introductory interviews. This is number four, and it's with me. So yes, it is a little weird that I'm introducing my own episode, but here we are. That means starting next week, starting next Wednesday, we will have some regularly scheduled programs. We'll probably do a little roundtable action, maybe even interview someone. We'll probably, I don't know if Liberty's still in the news, we'll talk about that because holy crap. Huh? Who would have guessed? During a global pandemic, you open the doors back up and more people get it. Almost the opposite of what the rest of the country is doing. Shout out to Liberty. We uh, recorded my interview before that information came out, so I'm using this time as an opportunity to just be like, wow, Jerry, wow. Very rarely can you point to an individual and be like, hey, this is your fault. Here's the time we can. Anyways... On to some happier news. I went outside today. Just a little walk around the block. I stayed six feet away from everyone, so that's important. I didn't come into contact with anybody, so that's cool. Um, I'm excited for you to hear this episode. I haven't, I haven't decided if it's a good one or not. I think Joel did a really good job interviewing me, but it's unclear if I did a good job answering questions. You'll also hear an ice cream truck, I think, at one point. Which, that's another thing. I'm going to put this up there with what Jerry did at Liberty. Why we have ice cream trucks going around right now? That's just like asking crowds of people to come around a truck, right? That's like the opposite of what we're doing. I'm all about supporting small businesses, but like, I don't know. There's going to be something that's like one at a time come up here. Right? Because you have it drilled in your head that you hear that ice cream music. And you just run outside, right? That's like, that's deep inside us that we know that if you hear, Mr. Frosty, you come flying out to get an ice cream. I also don't know if there's ever been words to any of my ice cream truck songs, but I started that one out with Mr. Frosty, so that's interesting. Anyways, let's get into this episode. Uh, today's, today's podcast is brought to you by Alcohol. I'm having a lot of it. All right, let's go. Uh, I guess we had to go four for four with you introducing the whole crew, yeah. including yourself. Um, and that uh, ad sounded very familiar, too. That voice sounded you know, very familiar. It sounded, I, I think I know that guy. I hope they're paying that person well. <laughs> Probably not. Nope. Um, but he's, got, he's getting great experience out of it, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Practical experience. <laughs> um. So you started off uh, talking to the rest of us, the three of us, about you know these topics. But I mean, how did you get into higher ed? What was your path you know, that kind of brought you to this point? Yeah, I feel like I switched my mind in college. I mean, like anybody in college, like fifty times. I think I was pretty adamant about doing political science when I first started. I was always really interested in government, really student government. I was always really interested in student government. I don't care so much about government. Um, but, but yeah, started in political science and was like, okay, cool. And then like switched over to secondary ed pretty quickly. And, you know, just like everybody else, I was super involved. And once I realized that that like, but yeah, once I realized that the most impactful people that I met in college outside of like my best friends were student affairs members and I would stay over the summer I would stay on campus and work in the student activities office. I was doing, or I was just doing everything, and I was like, "Oh, this this would be really cool to help foster this experience for other students." Uh, so then I went to grad school, went to the University of South Florida, go Bulls. That was really fun because I went to a small private Catholic school for undergrad, and then went to like the eighth biggest school in the country uh, that had sports, which was really cool. And our football team was really good. That that was like the best part of my. <laughs> Graduate experience was being was seeing a real sports team, a real college sports team. And then going from Boston to Tampa was very different. Mm. Uh, so that was that was cool. And I kind of knew the second I got down there that I wasn't going to stay in Florida. Um, 
which I, I think a lot of people feel similarly about that. Um, but yeah, one, I was so adamant on coming back to Boston once I was done. And I did. And then I, and then worked in residence, uh, but either student activities or residence life kind of like flipping back and forth over the years. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then I, and so went from, I was in Boston for like seven years, six years, and then went to move to New York to continue doing higher ed here at schools like NYU and Marymount Manhattan, one in student life, one in residence life. Mm. And then poof, gone. What? Wow. <laughs> and there was only one left. There was only um, one. No, I, your comment on, you know, finally going to a school of sports is, it's weird because I have the complete opposite experience of having gone to Texas A&M for undergrad, which is a cult in of itself mm. and is all sports all the time. And then I went to grad school at Ohio State and I didn't do anything sports related or like outside of the student union, which was my assistantship, did nothing Ohio State because I was just so burnt out on that big school like experience. And yeah. it's like, it's funny to hear that from your perspective of going to a big school. Yeah. I mean, my undergraduate experience, like I pretty, I would have to play sports. Like they would need me for sports teams, you know. <laughs> so and then to go and it, to and like, if you can't see Mike, and if you can't see Mike on the screen right now, he's tiny and fragile. Yeah, five seven, one forty, <laughs> starting lineman for Emmanuel <laughs> College. Like they they would need every single dude they had there to make up a football team. So to then to go to like a, a school like U, uh, University of South Florida, where you know those guys would go off and a lot of them would go to the pros after that. So it was, it was pretty cool to just have that kind of experience. And then I never had it again. I never really worked at another institution that had, that was any good in athletics, right? Like MIT, I guess, but that's. MIT has the most sports teams of any college out there. Yeah. Excuse me. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't know if I could, I feel like I could make the basketball team. If I can make your basketball team, it doesn't, it doesn't count. Okay, that's fine. That's, yeah, I think that's, that's where I draw the line. Yeah. I mean, everybody needs a Muggsy Bogues, you know. That's right. Yeah. That's right. A little, little Space Jam, old NBA reference. Yeah, it, yeah, Muggsy Bogues made Space Jam, so I can make yeah. Space Jam. Yeah. Um, so, what, I mean, you got into student government. I mean, how, how has that influenced you? I mean, I feel like that's a very specific niche of college involvement. And, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes about, you know, student government involvement and you know their expectations for afterwards what would you know what do you do it yeah one of the funny things about my graduate experiences i didn't work with student government in graduate school but um i think my second year there one of our ras ended up becoming president there and i remember learning what they got like they got a corner office they got paid they got all this stuff. And I was like, I got none of that. <laughs> I was like, I went to the wrong school for student government. This was like, this was a resume builder. That's all that was. But no, I I just I was really involved in student council when I was in high school. Like that was, I was just, I just always enjoyed the election aspect of it. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed how we get to shape what the student experience was like. I really, I mean, this is where I got my first taste for like advocating for other students. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. Um, college was interesting, though. I, I didn't enjoy the student government experience in college as much as I enjoyed, like, the student council experience. Because I, I really like leadership development. Mm. That's what I learned. I like leadership development. I like watching the progression of someone coming in as a first-year student, leaving as a senior, all the skills, all those things, right? Um, I don't, mm. I'm not really interested in Robert's Rules. I'm not really interested in government. Um and I remember, I so I was the freshman class president, huge brag, and then I was an RA for a couple of years, and you couldn't do both government and RAs. You couldn't, it was a conflict of interest or something. There was some experience where an RA was also assumed government president, like yelled at the president of college, and they were like, we can't do this again. You know, because that's how leadership works. And yeah. I remember my senior year, I was like, I can't be an RA again. Probably because residence life was like, we don't want you here for a third year. Uh, and I also didn't want to be there for a third year. So I ran for student body president. And I, I remember my slogan was, there's an ice cream truck going out right now. That's exciting. Except not. No, why is there an ice cream distanced? truck? Maybe, maybe they're throwing it six feet away from the truck. <laughs> That's as recommended by the CDC. 
This is anti-quarantine. Wow, That's... I can't... I'm so stunned right now. Sorry. Shook. We're going to keep part of that in there for sure. Yeah, I, that was... I'm more annoyed that we can hear the damn song. Can you hear it? I can hear it now, yeah. Wow. I can see it. I've never felt more compelled to murder. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to cut that and drop it in random places in the podcast. Gosh. I'm now nervous. About, gonna how do you feel the... about students, Mike? I've yeah. never felt more compelled to murder. Never felt more compelled to murder. <laughs> I'm honestly now, I mean, now that I'm over the quarantine thing, I'm more concerned that it's going to just pick up that music, but I think we're okay. Yeah, I can't. I can't hear it. So. Yeah. Oh man, that's okay, that's incredible. I'll mark that. Down. How warm is it? Even warm down there? No. Well, I mean, it's like sixty now. I guess. Uh, that's nice. But still, what the fuck is going? Oh, anyways. Yeah. Anyways. Anyways. All right. But yeah, so all that to say, <laughs> I I remember running my senior year, and the slogan was like putting. It was putting the student back in student government, and I thought that was so clever because I hated how we treated it like it was really government. It was like we were 18 to 22-year-olds. Stop it. Stop. We're, we're, we're seeing how much money we should give. Everybody calm down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was, kind of, that was kind of my student government experience. I think that helped me later on in life to understand what that looked like. Not in life, but in student affairs, it helped me to understand it, even though... I think out of all of my professional experiences after that, I only worked with student government one time, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and again, came at it from a very non-governmenty approach, but right. really just focusing on leadership development and how understanding your role in student government is to to represent others. It's not about you, right? You can hear the music, can't you? I can hear it now. Yeah, I can hear it much better now. <laughs> I, I, I might already... Oh, I can hear it fully now. Are you on the first floor? Yeah. Oh, if okay. he stops here, I'm going to go outside and yell at him. Smoking a cigarette. Unbel- I hate you. <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm in a horror movie right wow. now, too. Yeah, that's... That thing, that's not okay. Yeah. I mean, like, I get, like, yeah, small businesses need to support them, but not that business. Not encouraging people. And then, now there's too many people outside, too. That's not the sense of regularity I want to no, go back to. No, no. Okay, so then talk to us a little bit about uh, how you kind of departed higher ed, since you are one of the three of the four that are no longer technically humans of higher ed. Yeah, I think it was like a slow progression. I So I moved to New York five years ago, and part of the reason I moved to New York was I mean there was a bunch of reasons I moved to New York but one of the reasons was that I had explored comedy a little bit in Boston I had taken an improv class to kind of work on my public speaking a little bit I wanted to I just wanted to be more comfortable in front of people in an unscripted form and it really like I really took to it and really enjoyed it so after that I was performing there regularly after where I was taking classes I went through the whole school and I just started performing there and I had a really good time, and I I felt like I was getting pretty good. I came to New York for a festival, and I had like a weird experience where Horatio Sands, I don't know if you know Horatio Sands, but he, former Saturday Night Live member, mm-hmm. he, I did not know ahead of time, but he was at one of the shows that I was performing at, uh, and was there, and after the show, I found out, and I was like, oh my god, I'm so glad I didn't know that ahead of time, I would have been freaking out. Uh, we went to the, the performers were allowed to go to a party space afterwards uh, that was put on by the Upright Citizens Brigade, who's in the news right now for laying off people via right. mass email without taking care of their insurance. But uh, at the party space, I was like, oh, wow, that's Horatio. And he came up to me and he was like, hey, I saw your show. And, like, it was great. And like referenced three or four things. And he talked to me for like five minutes, um, which felt like two hours. Yeah, and it was just kind of like, yeah. I mean, if you were ever gonna move, you're like you do it now, right? Like, what's the worst that happens? So that kind. I remember I got back from that trip and applied to a job at NYU. Like, I got back on Sunday, applied to that job on Monday, um, and then like two months later, because you know, <laughs> that's how long those take, <laughs> as we talked about with you yesterday. As as we talked about, yeah. Um, that I got the job at NYU, 
And then I actually didn't take that job or I took that job right away, but I didn't move for quite a while because an event happened. This is when we were still working together at MIT. Um, right. I think, did you, did you leave before I did? No, you left before I did. So there was something happened with one of my students in, uh, in the building that I was overseeing and it happened literally two hours after I got the job offer from NYU Oh my gosh. So, and shout out to NYU because I called them back, explained the situation, and they, I was supposed to start like October 1, and I ended up starting December 1 because of it. Oh, I remember that, yeah. And that was really cool of them because it was, yeah. it would have felt bad leaving the community after something, some an event like that to, to just kind of bounce right away felt, felt kind of nuts. So, for yeah. NYU, and, and I mean, talk about starting on the right foot on NYU's behalf too, to just be like, no, we totally understand. Let's do it in December. They really didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really cool. So now, so I moved to New York to like, I didn't feel comfortable enough getting rid of my career to pursue comedy, but I was like, this is the first step. Mm-hmm. I can see how I'll do in New York while still, still doing higher ed. Uh, yeah. and I had a great time at NYU. My supervisor there was so dope. Um, I really love the students there. And then an opportunity came up to take a new position. I was gonna, I was gonna be moving from student life to residence life. And the main reason, I shouldn't say the main reason, but a big important reason is my partner was moving from Tennessee to New York, uh, and it was gonna be like roughly the same money, and also an apartment and fi- <laughs> finding an apartment. A, for- a very nice apartment. You go through Mike's archives on Instagram. It's it will make you extremely jealous. Yeah, it was it was like on the thirty second floor in Midtown Manhattan, and <laughs> it was free, and my partner could live with me. And I mean, I wasn't, I wouldn't say the only reason I took that job was for that, uh, but it was definitely a big reason. I know we're not supposed to say that, but it was a big reason. If, Just, if there's only one thing you take away from this podcast today, kids, it's get a res life job in Midtown Manhattan. Yeah, if you're gonna do it, that's where you do it. And so, and I kind of knew when I took this job, it was going to be my last job in higher ed. Um, and the plan was to ride it out for like five years, four to five years. I was going to ride out and I was in a, an assistant director role. I was probably going to, I don't know, maybe move up at one point, but like this was going to be my last stop. And then hopefully something comes up with comedy or maybe I go back to Massachusetts, but this was most likely my last stop. And a couple years in, um, our, my boss was promoted, which was very exciting. And uh, they had a tough time filling my boss's role. Uh, and I was the assistant director at the time. And they had asked if I wanted it and I, or was interested in it. Uh, and I said no, only mainly because I, uh, I knew what, I, what my goals were now. I was in a position that I was comfortable in. I knew how to do it. It allowed me to pursue the comedy in the mm-hmm. way that I wanted. I knew it was, I was going to be biting off too much. After what felt like 72 failed searches... I basically was presented with, you can either take the role and be paid for it, or we're not going to fill the role anytime soon. You'll most likely be doing the work anyways. So I was like, okay, you know, if those are my two options, of course, yeah, I'll take the role. Yeah. And almost immediately, I was like, okay, this is going to quicken the time. I'm going to be out of higher ed way sooner than I thought, like, because I knew, I knew it, it was both not what I wanted to do, and also yeah. not what I was good at. Like, I was, and it. I don't think I was good at it because I didn't want to do it either. You know, I think those mm-hmm. things played off each other. I enjoyed the staff management aspect of it, but I, I mean, my student interaction was already limited and then to, to do that. So anyways, fast forward to this past summer, I was at, I work at a leadership camp every summer with high school students. Uh, and I, you know, I get a group of like, there's like 400 students there and I get a group of like 20 for the week. And I'm basically telling them, Hey, you got to take calculated risks. Now's the time. You follow something that you're passionate about, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and they're like, okay, cool. So what do you do? And then my insides are crying because I'm like, oh, I'm just lying to these people. I'm feeding them <laughs> things I don't practice myself. Oh. So I got back from that. I mean, similar to how I got yeah. back from New York and applied for a job immediately. I got back from camp. I think on, on Monday, I went back to work. And on Friday, I put in my notice. Um, and I gave them a couple months. I did. I wasn't like two weeks and I'm out. Yeah. Um, and then I left. Yeah. So that was kind of, it was pretty hmm. terrifying, but uh, no, no regrets so far. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. Like you talk about, you know, 
the higher you go up, depending on where you're at, the less and less, you know, student involvement, which is what so many of us crave and, you know, feed off of and kind of really enjoy about the jobs. And, and yet when we're, you know, those positions don't always come up and that upper mobility doesn't exist in higher ed. And then when you do get that chance, it's like, you know, you're not right for it. And it's like, it's an interesting way to know that, about yourself in the profession yeah i um and i I think it's because i've already had some of my own heart to hearts where i was like oh i know that the end is near Mm -hmm. you know that i knew that i I knew a new position wasn't going to like wasn't going to fix what i was feeling about it yeah where before i think i used that right you use a new position to motivate you to yeah mix things up and you're like oh yeah I, i am excited about this and i felt that way when i got to nyu uh, but I think at that point I had known, I had known this wasn't going to be it. It wasn't going to be, I knew a director of residence life wasn't the direction I wanted to be. And I, I had colleagues and friends saying like, oh, what a great opportunity. You get to put director on your resume and then your next, I mean, you move up from director. What are we talking about now? I was like, oh, I don't want that at all. Yeah, <laughs> right, but that's, right. that's not what I want. And I think back to all those times in interviews where they're like, where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? Everyone's like, you know, I think my dream is dean of students or vice president of student affairs. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think I've ever said that, you know? Nope. Um, nope. And I, I, highest I ever went was union director. That's the highest I ever went. Yeah. I, and I, I really do. And I mean, again, I think there's ways as dean of students or as VPs where you are still having that student interaction. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I wasn't seeing it. I wasn't seeing it from the VPs I was working with. I wasn't seeing it with the deans I was working with, so I, I didn't have that example of what that looked like. Yeah, and I just, I knew, I just knew it wasn't, it wasn't the path I was going to go down. Gotcha. Um, would Horatio Sands be a good dean of students? I think he would be the first dean to just flat out say it's fine to have weed on campus. Uh, I feel that confidently. Um. So in some ways, yeah, I think the sooner we make that okay, <laughs> the easier residence life will be. Federal regulations be damned. Yeah, I think we could, they can fix it. <laughs> yeah. So then, so you moved to New York, you're pursuing, you know, comedy on the side and, you know, trying to make headway there. How did, and even at MIT, because I remember, you know, I was doing student involvement at MIT. I was involved with, um, you know, new student orientation and all that sort of stuff and programming. And I brought Improv Boston in to do an improv show one time for uh, like a first year, first, first year experience week or whatever, um, which was a lot of fun. But how did how did comedy and higher ed interact? How did they push and pull on each other for you? Yeah, I, I, I found it. I found some of the ways that I excelled in comedy improv specifically uh, were skills that I had gained through my leadership development and higher education experiences because so much of improvising isn't about, I mean, yeah, acting and being funny and all those things are important, but the majority of what you need is to be able to listen. Um, So much of it is understanding what the other person is telling you and then being able to collaborate and like work with what they're sharing with you to make the next thing. Mm -hmm. And that's like so much of what we're doing in any sort of like supervisory or managing role. So much of what you're doing is through those conversations, right? Just like listening. So I think being able to bring that into my comedy experience right away gave me like a leg up and allowed me to excel quickly. And then I found different ways through comedy where how I was listening to then like take that experience back to to like who I was supervising, who I was working with. I do think too, as I started to get comfortable with myself being a funny person, because I don't think I always felt that way. Uh, I was able to use that to create rapport. And mm-hmm. I think I've gotten pretty good at knowing what type of funny I need to be in the room. Uh, whether it's like somebody just needs to lighten this this up because this is insane. Or just bringing like a positive energy because I know most yeah. of the energy around me is negative. So by doing that, that stuff's infectious. So I think that's like a lot of that... A lot of that, like you, I think you phrased it as push and pull. A mm-hmm. lot of it worked well together. Yeah, I mean, did you find yourself getting pigeonholed into doing all the icebreakers, or you know, having to do, you know, the 
meet and greet type of stuff because you early on improv yeah Yeah, early on yes that they were like oh just put mike on the mic like he can do it or he can uh and at first because i was excited that people were asking me to do stuff i was like oh yeah Uh, and then then it slowly started to turn where i was like oh i don't want to do this but then as i got older and a little more confident in myself i was fine just being like oh absolutely not like i because i think so many times people it wasn't i was doing it and getting paid places mm-hmm. so for then you to just be like hey i want you to do this thing that like but the last place i worked somebody would always we had this actually you can probably see the whole thing on my twitter feed if you can dig back oh, that's far enough. right i remember that we had we had this like winter party they would call it a holiday party but parties that happen before noon or breakfast <laughs> okay it's not a party because then after that means it ends by noon and I have to go to work for five more hours. That's not, yeah. that's not how parties work. But every year, halfway through, someone would be like, Mike, why don't you do, why don't you do like five to 10 minutes of stand up or something? Oh yeah, that makes yeah. so much sense. Yeah. I should do 10 minutes of stand up at 1045 in the morning. That works. Like that is so, all of that stuff was so insane to me when that would happen. Um, and I just, I would always just be like, Hey, what skills do you have that don't relate to work? Can you do that for me for 10 minutes? Like nobody wants that. Oh, that stuff used to drive me insane. But as I did, as I got older, I felt like way more confident just being like, no, no. (laughs) Or like, I'll pay you. You can pay me. Yeah. Here's my bill. Yeah. Up front. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're pursuing, comedy you're doing it you know on the side at MIT you started at MIT and everything and that's when as we talked about you kind of reached out to a couple of us you know myself and Billy uh, to start Humans of Higher Ed what spurred that like what what brought that on yeah I'm excited to tell you that as the ice cream truck does another laugh it's back it's back oh my god it's back um yeah so I realized so I'd been improvising for maybe two years and quickly realized that, yeah, I'm probably never going to make any money as an improviser. So I was like, I need to, I need to work on writing a little bit more. And I really don't like writing, but what I thought if I like created something that was going to hold me accountable and also brought in some other people that would also hold me accountable, it would force us or force myself to write things. Um, and I also thought like the idea of combining two things that one thing that I loved and another thing that I, I liked uh, and also felt like an expert in. Um, you liked comedy and you loved higher ed, right? This was 2014, I think. So no. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, but I think being able to combine those two things, I was like, oh, this, there's something here. And yeah. then I also just, I think this was probably right around the time I had like joined the student affairs professionals group for the first time or something. Oh boy. And it was just kind of seeing how everyone would take everything to a hundred. I was like, this is why people hate us. Like it's moments like this. And I, I thought it was important to create something to just, just point, point out the absurdities of it in a fun, laughable way. And I, and I did think it was something that would resonate. I didn't think like 25,000 people, I didn't think there were 25,000 people in higher ed. So I, I'm pretty surprised (laughs) by that number, but I did think it would be something that people would be like, Oh, this was kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of the, I was like, this will force, it was very selfish. It was, this will force me to write every day if this is created. And that's kind of, that's where it came from. And then yeah. I was like, I was just figured if we're going to do this, we should do it with people that I would like to talk with daily. <laughs> and so that's where, that's where you guys came in. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, what, when did we transition to memes? I mean, so like, like we've talked about and like we've been posting kind of some of the older stuff that we've been doing recently because we've been talking about it on the podcast. You know, we, we did long, kind of long form writing. Yeah. And then we find a picture to fit it. Um, but I mean, when did, I don't remember when we transitioned to memes, but I mean, it's, that's kind of where we, if you looked at the curve and I'm doing it with my hand right now, we're kind of going steady, going steady with the long form. And then when we hit the memes, like we went up. We yeah. started going up. I honestly, I think Billy came up with something. I think he, I, yeah. I feel like he was the meme, the meme god. Um, but I do. I think we just saw we we, and this might mean we have no backbone. But we would, it would kind of be like whatever got the most likes. It was like okay, I guess, yeah. 
I guess that's the direction we're going to go. But I do one thing that I do think is cool. We I still think we do things that we like. Um, mm-hmm. Where we're we're still going to put out things like, oh, this is going to get a thousand likes, and this will probably get us fifty new followers, and that's what we're trying to do at this point. I still we still do that, but I also know that there's many times where I'm like, I don't care. I think this is funny. I'm fine. I'm make. I'm going to spend the next two hours making a stupid video with keys. Like knocking on doors, being like Res Life's kinging it. So I know we still do things that we want to do regardless. So I kind of like that we right. have that balance of yeah, we're not like totally selling out, but we are close. <laughs> right. I mean, we'd like to sell it for some money, and that's not happening. Yet, right. But you know, um, one offer. <laughs> what were there any like? What were some of the ones that stood out for you that you thought would never? like hit traction and then it just blew up other than the spring, the spring meme day. Yeah. yeah. I think the one I was surprised about, this has happened a couple of times, but the one that really sticks out is one of the first videos we did like scripted videos. I say scripted in the sense that it wasn't a man on the street thing, but the one where campus just closed, like students were moving out or Mm -hmm. they just moved out. And I did this stupid thing to um oh what's the name of the song it's like starship starship star um anyways it was me like it's living in the residence halls by myself now because all the students uh-huh. moved out so it was like in the elevator and i was like dancing around in the laundry room oh right and you're on the machine the cardio machines and yeah. stuff yeah and i was like this is gonna be for no one <laughs> this is for me i think this was funny uh, and then I remember that, that was one of our first, first videos that got like over 500 shares or something like that. Yeah. Um, so that was one that's happened a couple of times. I really do. Yeah. There, there's some things that we know are going to pop off, but for yeah. the most part, there's no rhyme or reason to what crushes and what doesn't. Right. Um, what you've asked this of folks, but I mean, what, were there any famous moments for you? Like people come out to recognize you about he was higher ed or yeah i i think i talked about this with billy a little bit there was one mm-hmm. and i won't tell the whole story but there was one comedy show where somebody came up to me after yeah and they were like oh we saw that you were from humans of higher ed and that's why you came to the show huge mistake by then uh, <laughs> and it's come up in the interview before my favorite is when i would be at a conference or um somebody would share something with me because they're like, oh, Mike works in higher ed, and he's a funny guy. He's going to love this. And they'll forward me something from Humans of Higher Ed. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. I'm glad you found the page. We like it. We're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, that's that's mine. <laughs> like, ooh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I wrote that from this desk. I, I did that <laughs> meme. <clears throat> so that those moments were always my favorite, I think, when somebody shares it thinking that I'll like it. Yeah, I, I do enjoy those Twitter posts of, like, you know, in the middle of a conference session – it's like, oh, he went to fire it. And we're all just like, oh boy, what yeah. now? Yeah. Is this is this a bad O or a good yeah. O? <laughs> yeah. Because you never know. You never know. Um, we established that my role in the writer's room is baseline nervous. Um, and Jason has the ultimate veto. Yeah. Because um, he still works in higher ed. But I mean, how do you... How do you approach pulling back on potential jokes and videos and stuff? I mean, you seem to be the most carefree sometimes of us because you want to let stuff fly. But, yeah. I mean, how do you approach that in the writer's room? I think, first and foremost, I want it to be funny. So I think there are sometimes the only times that I'm a little hesitant are when I just, I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is a joke. You know, both for me too. I mean, there's plenty of time. I think I probably do this to myself way more than I would do this to anybody else. Where I'll suggest something, I'll put something out there and I'll be like, oh, this sucks. Uh, like, this isn't it. Don't use this, but this is what will get the ball rolling. So I think that's like, I think that's where I come in is first and foremost to try to make it funny. And I think I try to be creative with stuff. I, I'm interested in trying new things mostly that when we think about that, that's videos, but I'm thinking about how we can do different videos and stuff like that. I think that, and I, I, but I also think I'm doing that selfishly because that's showcasing the things that I like to do and want to do anyways. But I think that's where, that's where I come in. I don't think I, 
very rarely will I veto something. Usually it's because I don't get it, but that's not even a veto. I just need it to be explained to me because I didn't, I didn't get it. <laughs> um, right. I don't know. What, what would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, I think I always, in my mind, I always kind of defer to you and Billy because often, I mean, I defer to all three, but like, right. I mean, you know, from my, my perspective, I'm, I'm not as active in the chat nowadays. Um, Cause you have a real job. But, what? Cause you have a real job. Uh, not as real. No, we talked about this. I have free time now. It's real weird. I don't know what to do with it. Um, but I mean, you know, Jason's, Jason's done comedy, um, you know, and is still in higher ed. You are a very funny guy. I approve of your comedy. Um, it's very adequate. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm going to update my resume, my website <laughs> and put that quote up on there. You are the Muji of comedy. Very <laughs> adequate. Um, and then Billy is, you know, just like you said, the meme God, like yeah. he, Billy's just funny. Um, and so like, you know, I look to you three to kind of guide on the funniness. And then, you know, I kind of, I think my first perspective is like, how can this go wrong? Yeah. Is what I, is what I bring. No, but I, I was going to say this earlier too. I think that what I like about what we have set up right now is I do feel like I can fire anything into that group chat and mm. no one will let me like put egg on my face. You know what I mean? Like you will, yeah. you both of or all of you will be like, "Well, Billy does this too." I feel like we haven't, we haven't called him out on this yet. But Billy yeah. also will be like, "Nah, dude, this isn't gonna work." <laughs> like, Billy's, yeah, Billy's very good at being like, "No, like cut the cut the losses now. Yeah. Like, let's not worry about it." Because I, mean, I, I think specifically in the Super Bowl, there were a couple of like mm. images or memes that came out that I was like, "Oh, this is so funny," and this is gonna be everywhere tomorrow. Like, what can we do with it? And then I remember it got shot down by everybody immediately, both of them. And at first, and I'm never, never like mad. Mad's the wrong word. I'm never like, yeah. but in my mind, I'm like, I tell you right now, this is going to be a meme tomorrow. Like, yeah. I know that this is going to be a meme tomorrow. And then the next day it is a meme. And I was like, man, I knew it. But then if you actually think about it, we, we've talked about this before in the group, high risk, low reward. Yep. And like yeah. when it's ever, and I think about that with all of the comedy stuff that I do, not just because of high red, like I'm always thinking about that. Mm-hmm. if it like what are we, why are we risking this like high risk high reward you can talk me into it but if it's high risk low reward oh, who cares like yeah you know what you don't we're not we're not making any money anyways so it's not like we're losing money by not writing this joke right now you know <laughs> yeah so i think that's always important where sometimes my brain is just kind of like no we gotta get it out there we gotta get out there now and i don't know if that's being a part of like the comedy community where everyone i know is constantly trying to churn out like the next great joke. Um, so I don't know if that's like, I'm just like trigger happy throwing jokes out there, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm trying to think back and it's like, I almost think I've, I've pulled back a couple, like once I think I've pulled back something we've actually put out. Like, yeah. And like, I think, uh, you know, maybe I wasn't like in the chat and it got tweeted out and I was like, uh, like let's delete that and here's yeah. why. Um, which I mean, doesn't happen very often, which speaks again to like how comfortable we've gotten with each other, which is, which is nice. And it's taken a while. I think, yeah. you know, I think it took a long time for, uh, for us to kind of, cause we, you know, we weren't active on Twitter for a long time, so we were able to be a lot more deliberate. Right. But now that we've been very active on Twitter and Instagram, like we are, we're get up and go yeah. and we trust each other now, which is, which is fun. Yeah. I think what's really cool, um, is there's, if there's anything that there's this pause of concern or like, yeah, pause of concern. We put it in the group, but there's also times where like, I know you, I'm pretty sure you've done it. I know Billy, I know I've done it. I do it probably too much, but if I'm like, Oh, this is good. We're just going to get it. Like, let's get this out there. And then if we'll we'll alert each other. Yeah. Like, Hey, rogue, rogue post. Um, And then for me, what's fun is seeing, I was actually talking to Kelsey about this this morning. Because as we're recording this, we did the business casual hashtag today where people were tweeting photos at us. Uh, And some of the quote tweets are really funny. And Kelsey was like, oh, this is good. I'm like, oh, I haven't even seen this one yet. (laughs) And so like that (laughs) for me is always fun too when I don't know what's coming. And then I get to read those and those are pretty good. Nice. And it does feel like we have a pretty consistent voice between the four of us with the stuff we throw out there too, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I like that. All right. 
So one of the latest things you've done and humans has shared is your your stand-up set on why you left higher ed. Um, talk to me a little bit about that dynamic of higher ed and humor there as well. Yeah, that's been kind of fun. I had never thought about taking any of the higher ed experience directly and turning it into stand-up or comedy or storytelling. I did have the idea. I'm actually I'm working on a script right now that I probably have share the idea with you but it has to do with a college campus and marijuana and it's been kind of it's been fun to write but that's the closest I've thought about um, bringing higher education into the comedy world and the dean is ratio stands and the dean is ratio stands call back <laughs> um, but <laughs> but uh, recently I forget how it started I, I'm just since I quitting my job I've had more time to write and was trying to I've been signing up for stand-up shows or being booked on stand-up shows without having material ready, but like two or three weeks in advance. And I'm like, okay, now I need to write the material and then practice, whatever. So I was just trying to put together, I had one story that I wanted to tell and the story was going to be like three minutes and I had like seven minutes. So I was like, how can I build around this? And I'm not, and I talked about this a little bit with Billy, I think I'm not really a very great joke writer, like a in the way that like a John Mulaney is and not that I'm comparing myself to John. I'm doing the opposite of that. <laughs> Make it clear. I'm doing the opposite of that. We don't have him as a guest next on the podcast. No, no, Mulaney's not next. Oh my God. But in the way to bring like another comedian in, like the way that Mike Birbiglia tells stories, I think is kind of where I see myself in that, not in that category, but in that type of storytelling. Um, is, is he the chickering of comedy? He's the, yeah, he's the, he's the okay. seventh vector of gotcha. comedy. Right? It right. goes up, right? Seven's good. Yeah, seven's final. Like, yeah. you've, you're self-actualized at that point. You yeah, are. that's going to be the name of my first special. Mike so. Vicarian, the final vector. <laughs> seventh vector. <laughs> this is the seventh heaven callback. Although I don't condone what the dad did. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyways, I, I didn't... If I was going to tell half of my set was going to be about one higher ed experience... I wanted the rest of it to be about higher ed, which felt daunting. Uh, and then, so I workshopped it for a couple of weeks and, and then recorded it and it went well. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I realized through that experience, it's like, oh, I, I think it's okay. It's okay that I'm talking about these things. Like I, I was always so concerned that it was like so niche and that it wasn't as relatable, but a lot of people are familiar with what college is. And if you're not, a lot of people are still familiar with people interactions and that's what all of it is, right? That's what's funny is that these are real human interactions that are happening and we've seen crazy, crazy stuff. So I think it's funny to tell those stories. So I think what I'm doing now, I'm going to try to like build a full half hour and then eventually a full hour. That's kind of all threading the needle through higher ed experiences. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I, I do have plenty of stories. It's just kind of figuring out how to tie those all together and then hoping that people want to hear those stories. I know the humans of higher ed people want to hear those stories because it's about them. So they want that, which is kind of why I put it on YouTube anyways, except because I want to get, I want to get those hits, those views. Um, I mean, that's why I put it on humans of higher ed because I was like, if anyone's going to appreciate this stuff, they will. But what was cool is that there were no higher ed people in that room that night of like 70 or whatever people. And it went over really well. And that was fun. So that was, that was kind of the eye-opening experience of like, oh, maybe I can do a whole thing on it and see what happens. I mean, yeah, higher ed, humor about higher ed is you don't, it's so easy to get because it's such a huge piece of culture, American culture, and, you know, there's so much humor out there that higher ed particularly may not like, but that people get and can relate to, you know, whether it's Revenge of the Nerds, Accepted, Animal House, like all those terrible movies that put higher ed in a terrible light, right. you know, Double Secret Probation or whatever. Um, but people get it. And I think when you can take yourself in that light like you did, um, it just, people really enjoy it. People enjoy that. And they yeah. obviously did in that room. And I think it helps us on the higher or it helps folks on the higher ed side kind of continue to see that yeah we can we do serious work but we can we can have a laugh about ourselves too right we can also say what's crazy yes you know um so continuing along the path of higher ed and humor and the push and pull of those two i mean you know 
Jason has Jason's still in higher ed, but has done a bunch of comedy stuff and has gotten into the stand-up. Um, I'm a Marfo, friend of the pod, who was former higher ed, now a speaker and consultant, has done uh, stand-up and a bunch of writing and everything. Um, where do you, for folks who may be thinking about getting into comedy or improv or comedy writing and stuff who are in higher ed, what advice do you have for them? Like, where should they start or, um, you know? Yeah, I, I recommend every, everyone taking an improv class. I, I'm i not saying go through the entire school, but if you're interested in it, it's worth taking a class. I, if anything, it was really cool to interact with a group of 10 other people that I normally wouldn't interact with. Um, and I mean that in a lot of levels. Like, I wasn't someone who was a theater kid or a comedy kid so that was very outside of my comfort zone to do that just to begin with especially with a group of people who a were a lot younger than me at the time and also were familiar with that um so they felt pretty comfortable so to do that was was really cool it was just meeting new people outside of the higher ed bubble which is so hard to do especially Mm -hmm. if you're an entry-level professional especially in residence life where it's just kind of assumed that you're all going to hang out all the time um so i i think that part is the best experience because it kind of gets you into a different community so highly recommend that. I think if you're in a city, most cities will have some sort of improv community. Um, so just kind of Google it. Highly recommend that. Um, I mean, what benefits? I mean, you know, what benefits can it bring to folks? You know, yeah. I mean, how can comedy help folks do their job better or perspective on their work in higher ed? Yeah, I think too. Uh, one of the one of the cool things about it is it takes you completely out of the headspace you were in for at least a couple hours a week. And I think that's cool. I think you can't think about it. In order to do it properly, you can't think about anything else. Like if you're improvising, you have to, I mean, UCB, I can't believe we're talking about them again. Um, but their whole thing is don't think. Uh, and that's, mm-hmm. it's true. You kind of have to have a blank slate while you're up there improvising because your sole focus for that scene or that, hour, whatever, is to listen to what's being told to you and to be able to respond smartly to what's being told. Um, so I think that, I mean, to to both, like, just clear your head for a couple hours is really cool. I love the rush that it gave me. It made me nervous mm-hmm. in a way that I had never been nervous before, and I think that's just a cool, I think that's good for your body. Uh, I think a lot of people would disagree, but I liked it. I liked that moment of being like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, and then to do it and be like, oh, okay. And then I remember like the next time doing a hall meeting or speaking at orientation, I still feel like crap right before I'm about to go on. But I also know that I've done worse and it's going to be fine. And I remember like my last, my last year at NYU, uh, I was working, I was in charge of the orientation program or I was in charge of part of the orientation program. And normally we had this like whole list of speakers. And I remember watching, it was just so bad. And I was like, you know, maybe maybe just let me go up there and wing it for a little bit and I'll like intro and like bring some people in and it made me nervous every time. But I also knew that it was, I was like getting better at it. I had gotten so much better at it by the end that I'm like, Oh, this is actually, this is a good thing. Like we can bring this humor. It makes the parents at ease. Like that's Mm -hmm. what I've learned the most from, from being like better on, on the, um, I was going to say the balls of my feet, but I, (laughs) I feel like it's not the balls of my feet. Being on my toes, I guess. I yeah, there you go. But I feel like That's... it's it's almost like a disarming thing. Like I can, mm-hmm. everybody relaxes a little bit. They're like, because everybody's so nervous, especially at orientation. You get like 500 yeah. people in a room and everybody's stressed out and freaking out. And by making fun of the fact that our most successful club on campus was cookies and coloring. And this, I ran this bit back every time. And it was a hundred percent success rate. And I was like, actually, the club that won Club of the Year this year was Cookies and Coloring, uh, and it's really cool. They do some highbrow stuff, and I'll explain it to you because it's a little hard to understand. But what they would do is they would get some cookies, and they would color. <laughs> it's just it was stupid. It was stupid, but it crush every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I feel like I did a poor job answering that question. But I do think it makes you. No. I think it. I don't know. I, it makes you more fun to be around, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Which we all need. Right. Um, in every industry. Um, what do you miss most about higher ed? Being a human formerly of higher ed. Yeah. Like Prince. Um, yeah. We need, a, we, we need a symbol. We do need a symbol. Mm. 
Um, I think I mean, I mean, the obvious answer is the students, right? Like I miss, I really miss student interaction. Uh, what's been cool is in my new part-time role as toddler coach, I work at like a kid's gym where it's basically an hour long class with little kids and you make them do little exercises and it's awesome. Uh, so I'm still getting like a little bit of that. I mean, obviously they can't talk back, uh, but they still throw up sometimes and college students did that uh also they do they have sworn at me before too which is nice. really funny because college kids have definitely sworn at me so but they swear accidentally like we're going around the room uh and the other coach will be like and what's his name and they'll say things that rhyme with mike but that aren't mike that are inappropriate oh yeah so what are those what are those judicials like yeah i, I hit them <laughs> but it, uh, no, I don't. That, right? <laughs> I don't hit him. I don't hit him. If I do, it's accidental. Um, but I. But that's been. I, it's been nice to still get that student. I mean, child interaction. It's definitely not the same. But. Um, but that is what I miss. I miss those moments. I miss like the fun conversations that I would have with students. I miss being able to. I don't know. It's weird not being a part of a graduation. Actually, I haven't been in a graduation in like five years, but it's weird not being like seeing a class graduate. Um, yeah. It's weird not seeing a student who got in trouble for drugs come by and being like, drug free, baby, like stuff like that. I, like I miss those things. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I, we talked about this in mind too, but it's just, it's just a whole, it's this unique part of of higher ed that you know getting to work with the students and i mean you know one of my one of the things that my, i did like less than a year in res life uh is my first job outside out of grad school and i mean the one moment i hold from that is a conversation i had with one of my ras till 4 a.m because like and then he came out like six months later and i knew he was struggling with it and it's just like but that conversation was needed and that's you know those things are taxing but i wouldn't trade anything in the world for that and i yeah. think you know i think we don't get that opportunity in our current job we get opportunities like it but it, it's such a unique experience to work with students who are you know discovering themselves discovering their interests and their passions and everything so yeah yeah i mean i know that that is like the cliche response is the students but it is the students i mean that's why we all got into yeah. it to begin with i do remember when i told my the last group of students that i worked with that i was leaving um, they applauded, uh, and, <laughs> and it was so funny and it was, and it was, it, it was nice. Like they were saying they were happy that I was finally doing the thing that they could tell that I wanted to do, but it was just such a fun, and I wish it was recorded to let people know that you would no longer be working with them. And yeah. the immediate response was like, go Mike, <laughs> get out of here. It was really Bye. funny. But I do, I miss that. And, like, it's cool to still keep in touch with some of them and, and see, like, former students years later how they're doing. It's weird to know that those won't be created anymore. That's kind of gotten – that's taken a little bit to get used to. But mm -hmm. even that, though, I again, it goes back to what we talked about before, right? Like, I, I don't even think I'd be having a lot of those moments now anyways because I wasn't really working with students at this point. So yeah. I think right. it left at the right time in, in that way. Yeah. Okay, so just to kind of close this out for the day, um, if you were the number one pick in the student or in the higher education draft as a new staff member, what division or office or department would you want to be taken by? Oh, this is great. What's my signing bonus? Do I get a signing bonus? First picks get yeah. signing bonus. If I'm the first pick, I want a signing bonus. You're in higher ed, dude. All right, well, there is no signing okay. bonuses. It's the nice coffee in the office. Okay, this you is get, you get the nice Keurig. That's your signing bonus. The nice Keurig. I'll take a nice Keurig. What I will say is, if if I was the number one pick, say I was Eli Manning back in two thousand four, whatever year that was. Eli Manning was originally drafted by the San Diego Chargers, and he was like, "F that, I'm not playing for the Chargers. You're going to trade me." And then he played for the Giants. If Residence Life took me number one overall. I would Eli Manning the shit out of that. <laughs> like, absolutely not. I don't care how nice your apartment is. I want to work with students who aren't pissed off every time they come to see me. And that's what residence life was. 
at the end, anyways. I'm not yeah. speaking for all residents' life. I'm speaking for my personal experiences, okay? <laughs> okay, okay. So it's not residents' life is what I'm saying. Uh, so who would you demand the trade to? Uh, what's up? Who would you demand the trade to? Yeah, that's a good... So uh, I think if there was a leadership development center, okay. a leadership center, and like civic engagement, I think that's my number one pick. I think my number two pick is intramurals. You put your boy in a recreation center at a big school. I think if I went back and did it again, I just want to organize tournaments. Yeah. I want to organize athletic tournaments. I want winners and losers. That's that's legit stuff. Like, I mean, A&M, when I was there, they had three leagues, and the A-League... Uh, the one of the championship teams, one of the kids walked onto the basketball team and like had yeah. a star season that next season. It That's was ridiculous. When I was at the uh, USF, my I think it was my first year of grad school. We we created an intramural team, and we had former football players on it because they now could play intramurals because their career was over. Like they weren't going to go pro, and they were done being a Division one athlete. So we had these huge like six foot six dudes that we were just like chucking alley oops to. Because my friend worked in athletics there. And we went to the championship. I can't believe I'm telling an intramural sports story right now. But we went to the championship. And there was like 150 people at the game to watch. <laughs> and I was like, this is the best. This, And I'm not saying big school is better than small school. I feel confident saying sports school is better than non-sports schools. <laughs> I'm okay saying that. See, and I, I'm on the opposite. I'm like... After working at D3 schools, I was like, never again. I always want to work at a D3 school. I don't want to work at a D1. I love that, like, clubs couldn't start till 7 p.m. because the athletes had to come and be part of the club experience and stuff. Like, I love that part of D3 schools. That is cool. I mean, yes. Fine. Okay, if we're talking about the student experience. (laughs) I'm trying to to make you feel bad on your own podcast. Yeah, I mean, I went to a D3 school, so I get it. But I... (laughs) There was something cool when USF won, and it it was just, like, instant school spirit. Like, there was yeah. no program I could put on that could create the kind of school spirit that USF winning a game. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, like, the bookstore would be like, hey, we won by 20, so everything's 20% off today. Like, what? that is crazy. I got the alternate end of that. When I went to Ohio State, or they... The first game they played was at USC, and they lost, oh. like, pretty bad. And so we were walking back. Like, we went to a grad school, like, my grad school cohort. I went to a party hosted by someone in my grad school cohort. And we were walking back to our apartment, uh, Eugene and I, and across the street is just a burning couch. And we're like, okay, so this is where we live now. Great. Oh, yeah. That is the downside. If you are a school like that, that's supposed to win. Like, yeah. USF wasn't supposed to. We weren't very good when, until, I guess. True. Yeah. But yeah, that that does make the party scene weird. Yeah. So that is true. But yeah, well, anyways, to answer your question, I think it's leadership and civic engagement or okay. intramurals. And just a reminder, residence life is the San Diego Chargers of higher education. Well, we're gonna leave it there because what a what a better point to leave it on. Um Mike Thank you for hosting the first three um, to interview the three of us and, you know, glad we finally got to talk to you and hear your story and everything. Uh, what can, I don't think we've decided on a name for our fans and I, I'm glad we're not going with the suggested one. Um, but what can our fans expect in the coming weeks and months, you know, while we're all quarantined still in our houses? From me personally? Uh, from the crew, from the okay. podcast. I was yeah. like nervous there. We were talking about like what I'm Yes, gonna from you. Where, that's, when are you going to do your next special? Yeah, because that, we can, we can talk about how that created an anxiety attack. <laughs> um, <laughs> hold on, I got to go <laughs> take another shot. Um, <laughs> no, I think what, I think the plan is going to, we'll have like a weekly podcast that will, I think it, Wednesday might be the day that we release them. Every Wednesday one will come out. I think we'll be talking about how people are coping. I think we should talk to some friends of the pod and bring them on. Um, I don't know. I'm sure we're going to get real creative in the coming weeks because I'm going to be bored out of my freaking mind. (laughs) And I'm sure everyone's just going to have a little more time on their hands. So, I mean, you saw it today. We were very active today. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. And that wasn't even me. That was you guys. I was not. Yeah. I was listening to our podcast from yesterday, editing. So. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, I'm sure it'll get weird. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. No, yeah. it was all gold, baby, all gold. Oh, oh sure. <laughs> um, well, perfect. And I mean, I'm I'm very excited to get that going with all four of us. Um, yeah, that'll be fun. Where Where can folks find you on the interwebs? Um, at Mike Zakarian at just about everything. So Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, Vimeo. No, <laughs> not on TikTok. <laughs> Uh, YouTube, it's on on the Utes. The Utes. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> okay, perfect. Yeah. Anything else? No, all you follow, rate and subscribe. Oh yeah. Um. All right. Well, perfect. Uh. Well, don't forget to rate us on all the different podcasting apps you may be using. Uh, or and subscribe to our podcast on all the different apps that you may be using for your podcast listening pleasure. Um. Again, like we said on mine. Uh, five star review, but terrible, terrible review. Making fun of my monotone voice, perfectly acceptable, and we'll read it on air. And I will accept it, and I won't make fun of you. It's fine, whatever. Five stars gets us where we need to be. That's all that matters. Um, it's like rate my professor. Like you know, they're really cool. Didn't learn a thing, but the cool professor was pretty sweet. Rate um, my hoagie. Yeah. So. Um, Am I forgetting anything else, Mike? I don't think Gr- so. I think you crushed Godfather. it as host. Okay. A-plus host job by Joel Pettigrew. Oh, Mike, stop it. Um, well, I appreciate it, Mike. Uh, I don't know if we'll have another ad from that very familiar voice on the way out, but if we do, uh, please buy it and use our code because um, it's totally real. Um, so if real. there's an ad, we it's will see you on the next week's podcast. Woo! Good job. Woo! All right.